You know, there's a lot of keys in life, aren't there? Thank the Lord for Brother Ingram's message. Whether you're a dad or a mom or a preacher, evangelist, a missionary, businessman, employee, we've all got these keys. Lord Jesus, take every one of my keys. Pastor Gilmore suggested I mention this book called Never Alone. It's written by our daughter Kathy Needham. It's a fictional book, but it takes place in a choir that you've heard much about in this church. But a 12-year-old boy gets gloriously saved, trusts the Lord Jesus Christ, walks in the fullness of the Spirit, and develops a maturity, and just starts witnessing the gospel with remarkable results. Uh, everything that's uh, accounted in here is, takes place in the very regions that we have hiked into and are now seeing God do a marvelous work. It's out there on the table if you're interested. really appreciate the discipleship emphasis that we're seeing at this conference. This morning, my wife and I enjoyed a brief time of making I will statements to each other. It was a blessed time. So thankful by God's grace. We see God's word. And we can trust to obey. Say, by thy grace, I will. There are ten regions in the province, or province, ten regions or provinces, I should say, of Cameroon. Each one has a sizable capital city ranging from 100,000 up to 3 million in population. I'd like to just share a little bit today about the progress of the gospel that we've seen God work out in the last 23 years. In those 10 cities, there are good, reasonably like-minded works going on in three of them, cities of Bamenda, Douala, and Bafasam. One of those cities, the capital cities, the city has many evangelical missionaries, but not much for independent fundamental missionaries. The other six cities don't have any like-minded work at all in progress. There is room for a minimum of half a dozen missionaries in each of those regional capital cities. There are many large and growing cities throughout the country. We saw the population uh, picture on, on the map that Pastor Gilmore put up yesterday. And practically all of these new and growing towns and cities are without solid, resident, fundamental gospel witness. We just lost a good missionary in the big city of Douala earlier this month due to health reasons. He was doing a great work there. Started three churches. But in a city of three million people, there's need for more than three small fundamental Baptist churches. There's no missionaries at this point in Douala of any stripe, so far as we know. Then there's the tribes, 275 of them, they say. There's two million Muslim Fulani. We'll tell you about them tomorrow. And three million more Muslims from other tribes and backgrounds. We want to see a definite gospel witness go out to them more so than we've ever seen before. We need a hundred missionaries to the Muslims in Cameroon. A missionary friend of mine, I haven't had a chance to meet him, he's a missionary over in Bikina Faso. He wrote an article, his name is uh, Brother Shoemaker, it's online, but he, he said the sub-Saharan African countries are just ideal for Muslim ministry because... Those countries, for the most part, have governments which are non-Muslims. The Muslims are not a majority population in most of those 
countries, but there's millions upon millions upon millions of Muslims living there so we can have access to them far easier than we could in some of the restricted access nations. And I've got several friends in restricted access Muslim nations. I praise God for them. They're the guys going out with courageous faith. But there's tremendous opportunities throughout our entire region uh, of Africa. The Lord saved my wife and me 35 years ago in Cameroon, Africa. Now, that might sound kind of shocking. But we went out there. We were farming in Iowa. And we leased out the farm. And for three years, we ended up in Africa, Cameroon, Africa, to train farmers how to raise livestock. God brought along a missionary pilot to present Jesus Christ and the Word of God to us. We got saved out there. I was telling you yesterday, we sold the farm. That was after we came back. Came back in 1983. Got into a good church. Began to grow. God called us. We yielded. It's like Brother Ingram said, Lord, I trust you. Lord, I will obey you. Lord, I'm going now. Thank you for going with me. Thank you for letting me go with you. I wish I'd had the training the BCM students here are getting. Had to learn a lot of things the hard way. Ended up in the evangelical movement for a time. Then established separatist fundamentalist convictions. I could just tell you so much how God clearly led every step of the way. Later on, good independent Baptist convictions. Brother Gorman said he doesn't have a Calvinistic bone in his body. Had a few of those bones. They had to be broken and reset. It's a good thing. And along the way and through the years, discovering the spirit-led, spirit-filled Christ, life of Christ in us. Not an imitation effort, but Christ himself in us in the person of his Holy Spirit. This ministry here at Falls Baptist Church that we got involved in some years ago has helped greatly to clarify that. It's been a wonderful journey. Backing up, we got out to the mission field in 1991. We're all alone, kind of like Sam Moss out there in Uganda. Sam Moss is here, serving the Lord. No other missionaries around. Need to pray for them. God bring along other missionaries. But we got out there. We just started telling people about Jesus, learned a couple of languages, and we learned how to pray. You know, you got to have your children in a situation with you and your families where they have the opportunity to see God work, to see Him directly answer to prayer, to be a part of crying out to God for help, for open doors and deliverances. It'll change the next generation. Some years ago, we'd been in the field just a few years, and we ran out of money. And when he ran out of money, he ran out of food. There was no gasoline in the car. There were probably maybe two gallons left in the car, and couldn't drive it anyway. The insurance had expired. We had a half a bucket of potatoes left, but didn't have any gas to put it on the stove to cook it. And we just got our knees that morning and talked to the Lord about our need. I thought, well, there are a couple gallons of gas in the car. We can jump in it and go up in the hill and cut down a tree and get some firewood and cook our potatoes and rejoice. And so that's what we did. We cut down a tree. The whole family went out together. Brought it down to the house. On the way down, I met a guy along the way. He was a farmer, a gardener, we would call him. He said, hey. You've been in my town for several years. I've never come to welcome you. Would you be around tomorrow morning about 9 o'clock? I'd like to come down and just tell you we're so thankful that you've come to live in our community. I said, sure, stop by. We went down and we built a fire and we cooked up those potatoes and ate them and 
Thank God for them. And the next morning we're on our knees saying, Lord, we're out of food. And we need your help. That guy showed up about 9 o'clock. You've seen pictures of the Africans. They carry huge loads on their head. He come down with a 100-pound bag on top of his head. And they, 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 these loads are so heavy they can't lift them up or take them down. They need someone to help them. So I helped him take that bag off, set it down by the door of the house. He came into our parlor, sat there and talked with him. I tried to witness to him. He really wasn't particularly interested in the gospel. He says, we're so thankful that you're here. And uh, he got ready to go, and I started picking up that bag, put it on his head. He says, wait a minute. I didn't bring that bag to take it away. I, I brought it to give it to you. And he turned it upside down. There's 100 pounds of potatoes, beans, onions, cabbage. I don't know what all was in that bag. But we just stood there, a mouse hanging open. He went on his way. I never saw that man again. Our daughter Sarah says, I love it when we run out of money. <laughs> we get to talk to God and see him answer prayer. Our children need to see that. Driving on the road one evening about 7.30, just after dark, four of us in the car, come down a hill, round a bend, a bunch of big old chunks of firewood blocking the road. As I come to a stop, a big old chunk of firewood comes flying out of the bushes and bam, hits the doorpost, skids across the windshield. I thought we'd been shot, it made such a large noise, and I just said, Father, we need your help. Thieves had stopped us. As I sat there with my foot on the brake, with the brake lights illuminating behind us, the people came behind and blocked off the road behind us. Counted seven of them. I said to the guys in the car, so they outnumber us. When they come up to the door, we'll just give them what they want. There's nothing else we can do. And we waited for them to come. And we waited for them to come. And we looked around, and they were gone. They disappeared. No one else is around. No other vehicles. Nothing. I shifted in the four-wheel drive and crawled over those chunks of firewood and tore out of there as fast as I could go. We were scared. We were rejoicing. We were giving God the glory. One day I'm going to find out what happened. My son Daniel, Kathy, Elizabeth, several others of us, we several years ago hiked 120 miles out through the jungles, crisscrossed some of the very area that Pastor Gilmore and his son Jonathan were on just last month. We came to Montenegro. I wish I had time to tell you this morning. We came to Mbalishi. The doors were absolutely closed. We got our knees and prayed. Trusted God. The doors opened. There's a church in Montenegro today. It's getting ready to uh, start churches in neighboring villages. It would take a long book to begin to describe the specific answers to prayer we have seen over the years. And when your children see answers to prayer, it's exciting and it's life-changing. And when new believers and not-so-new believers see it, it's powerful. We need to learn how to pray expectantly. Aquia has been in my heart and mind for many, many years. Back in those early days when I first got saved, that missionary pilot that introduced me to Jesus Christ said, Hey, I'm hiking out into Aquia. Do you want to come along? I thought, wow, that sounds like a neat adventure. We hiked out there, was again, some of the same trails that Pastor Gilmore and Jonathan went on recently. I saw things that I could never, ever forget. That's probably about 1982. Jump ahead, 1994, my wife's in the hospital for a few days. They're in Africa, the mission hospital. I'm going back and forth to the hospital, back taking care of the kids. I go to the hospital, I start witnessing and praying for folks in the hospital. Came across a man in a body cast. A motorcycle running to him. 
struck up a friendship with him. He was a Muslim fellow. In Luke chapter 10, verses 5 and 6, it tells about the principle of the son of peace. I'm going to come back to that guy in just a second. It says, into whatsoever house ye enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if the son of peace be there, your peace shall rest upon it. If not, it shall turn to you again. At that hospital, I met this Muslim man. He turned out to be a son of peace who opened wide the door of the gospel into Akwai. His name was Ibrahim. He said to me, I'd like you to come visit me in my home sometime. I said, sir, where do you live? I'd like to come. He said, Akwai. Twelve years ago since I'd hiked into that region. So Kathy, Kelly, her oldest daughter, and Bethany, we drove to the end of the road. We had a map and a compass and the name of a destination. We started hiking. We hiked 45 miles through the mountain ranges. And on the way, I'm, I'm headed to this Muslim region back there, a place called Kalamo. Some of you here have been there. The end of the first day, we hiked from 5:30 in the morning until 7 o'clock at night. There's times I lay down on the trail, gasping for my breath. My kids are wondering how we're going to carry my father's dead body out of here. <laughs> Come almost literally crawling into the little village of Olilo. It was after dark. I asked the chief. I said, "Would it be all right if I preached to your people?" He says, "Yeah." Had lantern light and I preached to the people. Went on our way the next day, and the Lord struck me. Just as our Lord Jesus, as he went along the way and preached in the villages, that he wasn't, well, he's sovereign, I'm not, but he, I mean, he, he knew, but I didn't know the open doors that would open up along the way to our destination and began to preach the gospel. There's a church in Olilo now, and God put it in our hearts that not only the Muslims back there, but also all these multitudes, these 75,000 people that live in Akwaya, they need to hear the gospel too. We've seen marvelous, marvelous answers to prayer along the way. You know, there's two reasons why we know God answers prayer. One is the Bible says God answers prayer, and the other reason is God answers prayer. Crawling up the side of one of those mountains, I mean, it goes two, 3,000 feet up the side of the mountain. It's hot back there. You're just sweating. And I learned how to fly right out of college, and I began to talk to the Lord. I said, Lord, you know, I am a pilot. And I'm just thinking how fast we could get back here to preach the gospel. God's given us two planes. There's a third one in the works right now. We had nothing to do with it. I didn't ask God for any. I asked God. I didn't ask people for any money. He provided what we needed without even struggling for it. Ask me about it. I'd love to tell you some stories about that afterward. We've made many flights to acquire hundreds and hundreds of flights, many outreaches. Souls were continually being saved. But not much for strong churches being planted until a few years ago when God raised up a Cameroonian man named Pastor Felix. I had the joy of bringing him to Christ some years ago. Seen him go through a Bible institute. He made many preaching trips to acquire, and God sent him there with his family. They've been through trials, struggles. But he's been involved in starting church after church after church throughout that region, hiking thousands of miles. Trusting God to open the next door. Some years ago, we had a netcaster seminar, evangelism seminar. A while later, Pastor Gilmore came with a team and did another one. And he returned with another team to do another one. And discovered that our Cameroonian brothers were more than capable of leading the training for the netcasters evangelists. 
So he took off one day with his son Mark, as I recall, headed out through some outlying villages, preaching Christ and seeing folks get saved. It changes life. Did it not, Pastor Gilmore? It changes life. Then a larger team came from Falls in 2013 and won many people to Christ in probably 25 different villages. Churches have been planted in village after village after village since that time. Currently, there's about 40 independent fundamental Baptist churches in Cameroon. About half of them are in the Aquia area. Most of them have been planted in the last couple of years. At the end of December, just a couple months ago, I was thrilled to take part in a Bible conference in the border town of Ngali. 200 believers had hiked in from villages, some of them two days hike away, to listen to four days of preaching, something like this conference right here. I was preaching on the family and marriage, and one session was on how to witness for Christ. And I asked many people in the crowd that just to tell them the name of the person who led them to Christ. And a few said my name, some said my son-in-law Glenn's name, a few said Pastor Gilmore, but the vast majority gave the names of others, such as Pastor Felix, who had led them to Christ. I stood there in amazement and was overwhelmed with the realization that these people are children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren in the Lord. For many years, we've been asking God specifically to transition the ministry from an addition church planting work to a multiplication church planting work. For years, I did not know how this would come about. I still don't fully know. But there's a Bible principle of multiplication. The first use, God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply. You jump into the New Testament, Acts chapter 6, in those days when the number of disciples was multiplied. Again in Acts chapter 6, and the word of God increased and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. Then in Acts chapter 9, 31, it tells us that the churches were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord, the comfort of the Holy Ghost. They were multiplied. In Acts chapter 12, 24, it says that the word of God grew and multiplied. And in our prayer for this to happen, there's just so many aspects of that, and God's working it out in his way, but it's laborers that we need. We need spirit-filled, surrendered laborers to evangelize, to start churches, to train men, to instill in them a vision for the whole country and beyond, dozens and dozens of missionaries and hundreds of national preachers. And I believe that's how we can impact the nation and beyond. I mean, we've got... Ministries involving radio broadcasts and literature, and, and some of these ministers are still developing, camping, airplanes, Bible schools, etc. These are great and necessary, but we really need laborers. We need laborers and churches who understand the principle of multiplying churches by the power of the Holy Spirit, who is the Lord of the heart. There are many facets to this. There's the ongoing need to help existing churches grow to maturity, to continue to train pastors, evangelists, church planners, as well as leaders within the local churches while helping the church members realize that they are the key. As the Bible says, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, Ephesians 4, 12. We're asking God to step in mightily. We want to see a Holy Spirit-led church multiplying movement whereby churches themselves take on the responsibility to plant other churches who will in turn plant other churches. It's so simple. It's so biblical. It's fine to start a church, go down the road, start another one, then another one, another one. But the world's just too big a place. There's just too many people for this to have a great commission 
fulfilling impact. It takes churches multiplying churches. As the Lord enables and he has promised that he would. And that's where we stand upon his promise. We can trust him. He delights in answering the prayers of his obedient sheep. He delights in seeing his will be done. And his will is clearly stated. He's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. We often say that the hearts of people are hard, or this particular area is hard. And Brother Ingram talked about California and different parts of the country that you travel in. We traveled the entire nation of the United States this past year in our furlough. And you hear about this region, how it's so hard, and that region, how it's so hard. And I can tell you how Cameroon's so hard, too. You know, we could get together and talk about how hard everything is. But I wonder sometimes if in reality that the hardness is really in our own hearts that are hard and unfaithful. Is the hardness in the hearts of the people or is it really in our own hearts? The Bible calls it an evil heart of unbelief. During those early years, I don't think I understood very well the law of the harvest and the promise of the ripened harvest fields. If we go ahead by faith, the Lord of the harvest will bring in his harvest. I farm for enough years to know that some years you get a big harvest and some years you get a small harvest, but you always get a harvest. And when the harvest is out there, you go bring it in no matter what. we trust in the Lord for the harvest, not our own feelings or experiences. We step out expectantly and we see what God will do. In the area of the world which the Lord has directed us to, we want the gospel to go to every person, a church, in every village. In the areas where he specifically, specifically dress, uh, directs us into. Folks, would you, would you just help us? Would you consider taking the time in your church to ask the Lord? If he'd have you to open, or I should say adopt, an open door of faith opportunity, maybe it'd be another part of the world. Some of you f- churches are just fantastically supporting missionaries. Maybe God would direct you to Asia or South America or some other part of the world. It doesn't have to be Cameroon. That's where my heartbeat is. That's where I am. It's the land of my spiritual birth. It's my adopted homeland. But would you just consider adopting an open door of Faith opportunity, get your whole church involved in taking the gospel to a needy people and seeing it through to an indigenous church planting movement in that particular area of the world. I believe it would revolutionize not only the gospel advance in the mission field, but I think it could transform a lot of churches as well. I mean, if America falls, where is missions going to be? We need a mighty church planning work here in America, too. You know, We're praying. We're praying for America. When people get excited about seeing God work, it transforms lives and ministries, both on the mission field and at home. Yesterday, I shared my burden for a specific mission field, the nation of Cameroon. Today, I told you something about the work of God and furthering the gospel and church planning in Cameroon. Tomorrow, we're going to attempt to present specific open door of faith, areas of opportunity in which your churches could get actively involved. And we'll describe in a bit of detail something about specific areas we believe God wants to trust him for and boldly advance into. We believe that God will use this to enable God's work in Cameroon to truly transform it into a book of Acts multiplying 
church movement in our generation. We understand the sovereignty of God. He is master. He is Lord. He is the Lord of the harvest. And his predestined plan that he has determined is that the gospel will go forth into his harvest through his servants' mouths as they move forward on beautiful feet. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But you know something, without God, our plans don't continue. And without us, God's plans don't continue. What would God have you and your church to do in more fully obeying his command to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature?